The following podcast is brought to you by the Village Sendo. For more information, visit villagesendo.org. Good evening, everybody. My name is Soten. I'm a senior student here. And um, I'm showing up here for a Dharma talk way earlier than I intended. Um, I gave a talk, I think, just four or five weeks ago. And um, but there was an opening and there was no one to fill it. And um, my arm got lightly twisted. And there had been something I'd left out of my Dharma talk that bothered me at the time that it, it had gone unspoken. And I thought, well, it's probably worth the Dharma talk. Um, so that talk was about um, this past year. I've had a, a lot of um, intense experiences of the medical kind. Um, I had a couple of strokes back in February from which I've completely recovered. Um, and uh, and practicing with that, what's the, the form of Zen practice when you've had a stroke, for example, was part of what I wanted to talk about and did. And a koan I, I brought up during that talk was the uh, third case from the Book of Serenity, uh, Master Ma was unwell. And that goes something like this. Master Ma was unwell. The monastery superintendent asked, Master, how has your health been in recent days? And the great teacher said, sun-faced Buddha, moon-faced Buddha. And um, that's kind of, I think, particularly as uh, Zen practitioners get older, that's a, a really important koan <laughs> to encounter and a real, really rich one. And it informed a lot of how I dealt with uh, first the strokes, as I had talked about. And then I also talked about having torn my rotator cuff. And I had, when I appeared on screen, I had a, um, I was still in a sling post uh, surgical repair and was in a pretty good mood uh, for having gotten to that point. And, um, so as the clock ticked by, where's the clock? Can I have a clock? <laughs> I always need to have a clock. Um, I didn't really get to talk about the pain component of those situations or my recovery. Thank you, Roshi. And um, and. I have more to say about that now, <laughs> several weeks later. Um, I would recommend for anyone who's trying to practice with pain, severe, acute, or chronic, uh, there was a really interesting and rich series of emails on May 15th on the Zendo listserv. If you Google villagezendo.io, whatever the form of that is, and the word pain, May 15th and 16th, there's a, a really rich thread 
Um, unsurprisingly, there's a lot of people in the Zendo dealing with uh, severe, acute, and chronic pain. And I'll mention some of those resources. I also, as a, as a doctor, have to sort of start off by saying, if you have some sort of acute or chronic pain, you should make sure to see that it's assessed clinically. Because um, while one may be able to sit with pain and practice with pain, uh, and it may be your new normal, until you know that it's your new normal, it could be the sign of something that can be treated and needs to be treated. And so um, uh, I would be careful about that and not simply be brave because you're a strong Zen student. Pain is usually a sign of something that needs attention. Um, and at the same time, there are um, I'm, I'm known <laughs> for sort of being free with advice that if you have a pain situation and options for pain relief, including pharmaceuticals are available, um, then one should consider those. One should also consider things like yoga practice and acupuncture and find the things that potentially work for you. It's not um, necessarily a positive that you can cope with pain and the face of it, because there may be ways to relieve it. And Buddhist practice is about relieving suffering. So, you know, um, uh, in my family, we would say, don't be too German about this, because we're Germans. Um, and when I think about pain in Zen practice, I think about when I first came into Zen practice and read about people and their knees on extended retreats. And when I started doing extended retreats and discovered what knee pain was all about, and I on occasion tried to shift my focus of attention to the pain, to become one with the pain, et cetera. Um, I don't think I was ever very successful at that. Um, and in general, uh, I would seek to move away from the pain. The next period, I would be in a different position. Um, one foot up, one foot down, or into seiza. Now, as I get older, into a chair. I'm not ashamed of sitting in a chair if my knees hurt too much or my back hurts too much, etc. Um, so even in long years of Zen practice, um, I'm more than happy to move away from my pain if I can. Uh, but with the shoulder situation, um, I've encountered a really different um, and difficult situation that has surprised me. And I'm realizing that the pain of chronic injury is different than the pain of acute injury. I have a clinical condition called Ehlers-Danlos Syndrome. So and there are probably people who will hear this talk who also have it, um, where your collagen is sort of loose and fluffy and tears easily. And um, so I've had people in the Zendo have seen me come in with canes and splints and all sorts of broken this and torn that. That sort of acute pain um, has been okay for me to deal with because I just know that there's the acute situation and day by day it gets better and you heal and you go on and sort of return back to where you were. With my torn rotator cuff, and it's not the first time I've torn my rotator cuff, this time it was so severe it was going to need surgery. And what got me through the first three months of not sleeping because of the pain of uh, shoulders hurt more when you lie down because of the way gravity pulls at your shoulder, 
I kept on and I kept good spirits because I knew I was headed to the operation that would fix this. And then when I woke up from the operation and the nerve block started to wear off about 12 hours early, um, I was okay with that too because I had Percocet on hand and I knew that for the next three or four days that was going to be an important, important part of my pain control and a successful one. And I had learned when I was in medical school, um, when I was younger, I would issue taking anything, aspirin, Tylenol, um, unless I had a migraine, in which case I knew take one of your mother's going to give you a codeine, take that codeine. Um, but otherwise, minor aches and pains, no, 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 no. But then I got to medical school and I had all these patients who were refusing the things I could prescribe to them to help them deal with their hospitalization and their surgery or, or whatever. Um, they were there for, and I would get angry at them for not taking advantage of what I was making available. And I started to think, oh, maybe I shouldn't be so rigid about this myself. And so post-surgery, I was really grateful to have these meds that could help alleviate that pain. And when by day four or five, I didn't need them as much, I was um, happy to have that clarity of mind come back because I was no longer taking um, my Percocet. And the pain was starting to be manageable, and it was fading day by day. And that's around the time when I gave my talk, and I was feeling okay about this uh, and optimistic about it. And then I started doing physical therapy because the pain was sufficiently lessened that I could do the physical therapy, and it was the early part of the post-op recovery where you have to start doing it because otherwise you'll develop frozen shoulder. And so lifting my arm like this, this hurts. I couldn't have done it the day I gave my Dharma talk. But a few days after my Dharma talk, I could lift it up to here. And now I can lift it up to here. And that's pretty much pain-free. But if I tried to raise it that high, just on its own, that's painful. And suddenly I found myself in a zone that I sort of knew existed, but I had never really experienced. There's, there is no near-term end to the aches and soreness I feel in my shoulder and my arms, because every improvement we make in physical therapy, every extra five degrees of movement, range of motion, every slight increase, I can now lift two pounds doing a bicep curl. Ooh, two pounds. Um, I'm moving into a zone where I can't function. And so now it's been another month of chronic ache and chronic soreness that's always the same degree of intensity. And it will be like this for the next three or four months. Now I have an expectation that that will end. And I think that makes it harder. And this is one of the things I've started to notice that um, my expectations for what the pain should be are part of what's conditioning how I'm responding to the pain and how I'm living with the pain or fighting against the pain. And I'll be perfectly honest, I could have given my talk today about slipping back into a depression, which I haven't really experienced. Um, I used to <laughs> routinely slip into depressions when I was younger. I haven't felt a need for an antidepressant in probably a decade. Um, and today I called my doc to talk about getting a prescription because this is just wearing me down to the bone. 
in a way that I was not expecting and not prepared for. Now, one of the things that I, I discovered when I was um, lying there post-op and I was no longer taking the painkillers, but I still had intense uh, moments of pain right at the surgical sites. It was a very specific site. For the very first time, and I, I don't think I could possibly have done this 10, 20, 30 years ago of practice. I've been doing Zen practice in my fashion uh, for about 35 years now. Um, I was able to bring my attention to the pain and have moments where I could register it as a sensation that didn't have any content. And that got me really excited because I thought, oh, wow, okay, you can experience pain and it doesn't have to be painful. Um, so I played with that and I practiced that a little bit and I, it didn't happen often. It wasn't a thing I could sustain for a very long time, but I could do it. I can't do it now. This chronic ache and soreness, it's just wearing me down. While I was um, starting to deal with this, uh, I turned on Apple TV and discovered the Michael J. Fox movie from uh, last year, the documentary about how he's dealt with having Parkinson's. Uh, it's a it's a really powerful, beautiful film and uh, extraordinarily well done the way they use old footage of him in movies and TV shows to recreate actual moments that he's describing from memory. Um, and he talks about the difficulties he had dealing with getting the diagnosis of Parkinson's, how he turned to alcohol for a long time, what that did to his relationships, how he, you know, came, got past that, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera and starts talking about how he started realizing it was time to be an activist and that this was actually not the end of his life, but the beginning of a richer life for him. And at one point he sort of, I think the moment was he, he sort of flinches and um, the director who's, a, a lot of the, the film is just sort of his face on screen and the director is questioning him directly. And um, he flinches and he said, oh, did something hurt? Um, and he says, oh, I'm always in pain. I'm always in agony. And the director's sort of like, but we've done hours of interviews. You've never said anything about it. And he describes the intensity of the pain and how it feels like he's being hit with electric jolts constantly, and it relates to the Parkinson's, and it's not an uncommon thing in Parkinson's. Um, and he says, so yes, it hurts a lot, but what you learn... <laughs> What you learn is that nobody gives a shit. It's just life. It doesn't matter. You suck it up and you move on. And there might be a story to tell in it, but only that. There's no chit that you can present to a window for a refund. And I thought, I'm sitting here feeling really badly for myself because I've got this soreness. And I've just spent an hour and a half watching this guy having really intense agony and never betraying it and never talking about it and never feeling sorry for himself like I'm feeling sorry for myself. And I thought, well, sun-faced Buddha, moon-faced Buddha, that's one thing, you know. <laughs> I can 
rest in my Buddha nature and whine as much as I want. And that's just me really indulging in moon-faced Buddha. And I can do it in a real deep <laughs> sort of way. But this seems to be something that goes beyond that in some fashion. And then I realized this was kind of familiar. And, um, and I thought of a different koan. Uh, this one is from... Um, is the sixth case from the Blue Cliff Record. Yun Men said, I don't ask you about before the 15th day. Try to say something about after the 15th day. And then Yun Men himself answers for everyone. Every day is a good day. And I remember when I got that koan in the first place, I realized this sounded familiar to me. And um, there's an old Hasidic tale, one of my favorite Hasidic rabbis from a very early generation named uh, Reb Zusia. And his brother, um, uh, Reb Elimelech of Lizensk, was extremely powerful and extremely charismatic, um, had thousands of followers, and was very rich. And um, his students come to him at one point and uh, say, we understand the biblical verse, um, you should love your God with all your heart, with all your soul, with all your might. We understand how you do that on a good day, but how do you do that on a bad day? And Rebelli Malik says, you should go talk to my cousin Zusia, I'm a, my, my brother Zusia. And so they go looking for Zeusia. And the thing about Zeusia is he had no money because whenever he met anybody who was a pauper, whatever he had, he gave them because he felt he was kind of rich and everything. So he never had anything. So they finally find him sleeping. It's winter. And they find him sleeping behind the stove in the synagogue. Um, and they gather around on the floor and they wait for him to wake up. And when he rouses, they tell him their question and that his brother said, to come to ask him. He said, so how do you practice this on a bad day? And he says, I don't know. I've never had a bad day. And the third time I encountered this was, this will not surprise people who know me, my mother, who was deep into her Parkinson's of her own uh, at this point. And I went to visit her in her home and I said, how are you today? Um, and she said, I'm having a good day. And I said, every time I ask you that, you tell me you're having a good day. Um, and she said, because every day is a good day. One of the things that uh, one of the resources in that email thread, uh, someone mentioned um, uh, a video online, I think it was Fusho Hoshi, mentioned a video online from uh, John Kabat-Zinn, the uh, mindfulness teacher, and um, where he talks about using mindfulness in chronic pain. And he just gives a few short little examples. and. Um, but in a summary statement, not the techniques. And if you're having issues, I recommend digging into some of the stuff online. He says, quote, um, talking about research into pain management. Um, the greater the intensity of the distressing sensations, the more awareness strategies are beneficial and the less distraction strategies are effective. Tuning in trumps tuning out. 
for the kinds of stuff I've been dealing with, I'm starting to realize that tuning in is the way to cope with it. And that, oh, I'm apparently in that phase of life that my mother told me lives ahead, where things are just gonna hurt. All the cliches turn out to be true, including getting old isn't for sissies. I usually like to give Dharma talks on koans where I've passed them, um, at least <laughs> on that go round, because then I feel like I'm qualified to say something and I realize, oh, this is a koan I don't think I'm ever going to pass. Um, and that's okay too, because the best koans are always worth revisiting. So I'll just finish with this little poem, which probably is too long, but I didn't get a chance to edit it. The phases of pain may shift. Now a full orange moon rising angry above the horizon, then a yellow gibbous moon climbing the sky, or now a silver hook hovering. But where is this moon when I turn my back on it? Oh, look how the night world shimmers right before me. Let's explore.